We're in Matthew chapter 10. If you're there, say amen. amen. Obviously, I'm not yet, but I'll get there shortly. Matthew chapter 10 is what we're going to be studying the scriptures at today. And uh, we've been continuing verse by verse through the gospel of Matthew for some time. And I truly have enjoyed studying this wonderful, wonderful book of the Bible. We'll be in verses 16, uh, Lord willing, down through verse number 42 this morning. What, what we've already seen as we've been studying through Matthew is that Jesus has called 12 men and commissioned them as apostles or sent ones to go and do his work, the work of his ministry. He had prepared them through the time that he had already been spending with them up to this point. And he had told them in the beginning of chapter number 10, in the first 16 verses, the first 15 verses, he had told them what their ministry was going to involve. And yet before sending them forth to do the work of the ministry, Jesus had some further words of warning and instruction that he wanted to give to his disciples. And I'll tell you why. Because Jesus didn't want his disciples to get the wrong idea about what it means to be involved in his work, in the work of his ministry. And so he made very clear to them here in Matthew chapter 10, from the outset, what was going to be required of them if they chose a life of service to the Lord. I want you to listen to me on this. The modern day church does a very good job of making the Christian life look easy. They convey a type of Christianity that is full of wealth and health and prosperity. You follow Jesus, everything's going to be good for you. Your life's going to be a whole lot better. You can have your best life now, they say. That is not biblical Christianity. The reality is, living for Jesus is anything but easy. You say, you're kind of making a hard sell for following Jesus. I know. But so did Jesus. And I think it's important that we understand the cost of being a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, following Jesus will often require poverty, persecution, and many problems that nobody else in this world who doesn't follow Christ have to face. Being, being a Christian often brings hardship into your life that you would not have received if you were not a follower of Jesus Christ. There's a promise in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12 that says, Yea, and all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. How many of you, that's your favorite promise in the Bible? I dare say it's not. But it's in there. And it is something that is assured to us as believers. And so the point is, before you decide you want to enlist in God's service, before you say, sign me up as a, as a follower of Christ, you need to consider what's involved. And that's what Jesus was doing for his apostles here. And it's what he is doing still for us today. In Luke chapter 12, a parallel passage to the one we're studying, Jesus actually challenged his disciples to sit down first and count the cost before you decide to follow after his call. And that's a wise thing to do. And so Jesus is taking time to prepare his followers for what may be required of them. I think it's important to note here that the primary audience Jesus is speaking to is his Jewish disciples. And many of what he talks about and what in the words that we're about to the words we're about to study, many of the many of what he's about to talk about, they, they have to deal with 
a specific time period of things that the Jews themselves were going to go through. In fact, I believe that much of what he wrote here has to deal with Jesus giving instruction for his disciples during the tribulation period. Because much of what, what is described in these verses are things that are going to happen to believers during the time of the tribulation. And so, uh, a long time ago, Lyle Echoberry, uh, uh, an older pastor, he taught me a truth that always stuck with me. He told me that not all of Scripture is written to me, but all Scripture is written for me. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And the truth of the matter is, though many of the words that are written here are not directly written to us, I still believe the Bible has application for us that can help us to become more fervent, dedicated followers of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is outlining for us what may very well be required of his disciples here. And I'll be honest, there's not a whole lot of positive that Jesus has to share here in the words that we're about to study. It reminds me of the story that took place with, with Churchill back during World War II in 1940 after the Allied forces have, had been chased out of Dunkirk. Um, he looked at all of his fellow Englishmen and uh, the famous quote that he said is, All I can offer you is blood, sweat, and tears. Doesn't sound very encouraging, does it? Almost, almost feels the same way with the words that Jesus shares for us here. He's not painting a pretty picture of what it means to be a disciple. But the truth of the matter is, it's always worth it to follow Jesus. Jesus wants us to know what's required. And so as we study this passage of Scripture, we're going to notice four requirements of a disciple of Jesus Christ. And here's the question I want you to ponder as we study this truth. As you consider these requirements that Jesus gives of his true disciples, would you be willing to count the cost and to still follow Jesus anyways? Let's pray together and ask God to speak to our hearts. Our Father, we come before you. We thank you for this opportunity to be able to open the scriptures today. And Lord, I pray for the filling of your spirit. I pray for the anointing um, that only you can put on a, a time of studying your word. I pray that you will convey the truth to our hearts. And God, I pray that you would enable me to convey the truth that you have taught me and convicted my heart about from this passage of scripture. And God, I pray if there's one not saved here today, that you would draw them to trust you as savior. I pray for those who are saved, that we would be challenged to more fervency and consecration in our faith. And Lord, I pray you'd open our hearts and give us willing minds to hear and respond to the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now the first requirement I want you to note down this morning of a disciple is the conduct of a disciple. The conduct of a disciple. Look in your Bible in Matthew chapter number 10, down at verse number 16. If you're there, say amen. This is what the Bible says. Jesus said to his disciples, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Jesus made very clear to his disciples from the outset the hostility that they were going to face in the world that he was sending them into. And in the face of such conflict, Jesus calls all of his disciples to respond, to conduct themselves in three specific ways. The first one I want you to note down is he calls us to be courageous. 
He calls us to be courageous. Verse 16, the Bible tells us here, Jesus said, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Jesus compared his true disciples to sheep and their enemies or their opponents to wolves. Now, I was sitting in our small group a couple weeks ago, and the Dents family, apparently they have some sheep. They informed me that sheep are some of the dumbest creatures, if not the dumbest creature that exists on the earth. And that's what Jesus compared us to. Amen? Okay? They're not very smart. They're defenseless. They can do nothing to protect themselves from wolves. And consider this with me. It makes a lot of sense for wolves to come into the sheepfold. Right? That's normal. What is not normal is for sheep to go into the midst of the wolf pack. That's not normal. That doesn't happen. And what I want you to understand from what Jesus is beginning to teach us here is that he's calling us to do something that is not natural for us. It is not natural for us to want to march into a world that opposes us. What is natural is to hide our faith, to conceal our light so as to not bring any conflict against ourselves. But Jesus said, no, I'm sending you forth like sheep in the midst of wolves. I'm sending you forth into a very hostile world that will not like the message and the ministry that I am calling you to preach and to fulfill. And I'll tell you something, to go forth in the midst of this hostile world requires something. It requires courage. What is courage? Courage, as one person said, is not the absence of fear, but it is trusting God and acting in spite of your fears. That's what courage is. And that is what God, the Lord Jesus here, is calling us to exercise some courage. The only defense that a sheep has against wolves is the shepherd. And thankfully, as Jesus calls us to go forward as sheep in the midst of wolves, he does not send us alone. He said, and I am with you whithersoever you go. So, uh, Psalm chapter 23 and verse number 4. The Bible says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Joshua 1.9, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage, be not, dis be not dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. I'll tell you something, as believers, yes, we live in a hostile world, a world that is opposed to biblical Christianity, but we can go forward with courage because we know Jesus is with us. And so when it comes to our conduct, he says, be courageous, but then he says to be cunning. Look at verse number 16 again. In verse 16, the Bible tells us, behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. And then he says, be ye therefore wise as what? Serpents. Now, y'all like snakes? That's the only reference in the Bible. We're actually encouraged to be like a snake. And the snake has ever been a symbol of cunning all throughout human history, uh, 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 of subtlety and wisdom. Jesus told us to be cunning like a snake in our dealings with this hostile world. Now, snakes are very evasive creatures. Um, they know how to get away. They know how to conceal themselves. They know how to hide themselves. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5, the Bible tells us to walk in wisdom toward them that are without. I want you to listen to me. We have a higher mission that God has given us than our own little petty priorities. And it makes no sense 
To go make a spectacle of ourselves. To bring persecution unduly upon ourselves. The Lord tells us, act in wisdom in, in how you interact with this lost world. Because our ultimate goal is to get the gospel to every person. And so he tells us to be cunning in how we uh, conduct ourselves. Walking in wisdom will enable you to see trouble coming and to avoid it. All right? The prudent man uh, hideth himself and is delivered, but the simple person goes on and is destroyed, the Bible says in Proverbs. So he tells us to be cunning. The third manner of conduct he gives us here is to be clean. Is to be clean. Look at the end of verse number 16. The Bible says, Be ye therefore wise as serpents, and what? Harmless as doves. Now the dove is ever a picture of innocence. It was a clean animal in the Old Testament for sacrifice. And God wants us to act with innocence. To be clean and without fault in our testimony in the midst of a very hostile, hostile world. When Jesus was brought to the stand before they crucified him, the primary government leader of that day, Pilate, he stood after examining Jesus and what did he say? I find no fault in him at all. There was nothing that he could use to bring against Christ. And like Christ our Savior, we are to have a testimony without offense, without fault. Listen, this lost world is looking for anything they can to pick apart the Christian. They want to pick apart your faith. They want to find something in your life that will disprove what you say to them. And this world is ever looking for reasons to rail accusations against us, which is why Philippians 2 and verse 15 tells us to be blameless and harmless as the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So Jesus has told us, what the conduct of one of his disciples is supposed to be like. It's supposed to be courageous, cunning, and clean. And I wonder, as you examine your own life today, has this been the manner of your conduct in this hostile world? We see the conduct of a disciple. The second responsibility of a disciple that Jesus gives us is the crisis of a disciple. The crisis of a disciple. You see, as the disciples sought to conduct themselves in this hostile world, Jesus warned them about the type of crises that they were going to face as they went forward to do so. In verse number 17, the Bible goes on to say, But beware of men. For they will deliver you up to the councils and they will scourge you in their synagogues and ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. Jesus said, beware, watch out for, take heed of men. Now, our primary battle, Ephesians 6.12 makes clear, is not against flesh and blood. Listen to me, it's against Satan. But Satan will use any person that will allow him to to attack the people of God. To attack the cause of the gospel. And the agents that Satan uses are often men. We must be ever mindful that the best of men are men at best. The Bible says in Psalm 118 and verse number 8 that it's better to put your trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in men. We don't follow men. We are cautious of men because we are at best sinners saved by grace. And at worst, we're just sinners lost in our sinfulness. And so Jesus said, beware of men. And then he proceeded to warn us about four different groups of men. Four different groups of people 
who will try to who Satan will try to use to bring persecution against his true followers. The first one I want you to note down that Jesus talks about is religion. Religion. Verse number 17. Now, if you're still with me, say amen. amen. You need to hear this. Listen to this. He warns us about religion. Verse 17, he says, but beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils and they will scourge you in their synagogues. Jesus warned of how the religious crowd is oftentimes the first to attack the true disciples of Jesus Christ. He warns about the council, the Sunadron or the Sanhedrin. This is the Jewish a court system where, where people would be tried and convicted. And oftentimes the punishment given in the Sanhedrin was, uh, uh, for breaking Hebrew law, was, was scourging. A whip would be taken, oftentimes of three strands, and applied 13 times a number of rebellion to the back of the person who broke their law for 39 stripes. These things were things that Christ said, they're going to take you and they're going to falsely convict you because you are a follower of me. Because you choose to declare the truth of my word. And as you read on into the book of Acts, you find... Many of these same apostles that Jesus said would face these things, they did indeed face these things at, at, at the hand of Jewish courts. And all throughout human history since, church history has been littered with persecution that has often come at the hands of religious people. I don't want to offend anybody by saying this, but in ages past, the Catholic cult was the most notorious for martyring and persecuting true believers of Jesus Christ. Many others have followed in their steps. In the tribulation, the Antichrist will actually gather all the religions of the world into a one world religion. And they will viciously hunt and persecute any person who lays, lays hold uh, to, to, to believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Point is, you ought not be surprised... If persecution comes upon you as a believer at the hands of people who claim to be religious, Jesus warned it would happen. The first group is the religious group. The second group where persecution would come, he says, is government. Government. Verse number 18. The Bible says, and ye shall be brought before governors and kings. That's local local government authorities and federal authorities for my sake. For a testimony against them and the Gentiles. The second group Jesus warned us persecution would come from is the government. And boy, you read on in your church history. And later on, these apostles, they were indeed persecuted by the Roman government and the Hebrew government of that day and time. Nero was one of the most notorious persecutors of the church. A killer of Christians. And these apostles, Jesus was getting them ready for some things that they very well were going to face in the future. Let me tell you something. Throughout human history, the gov- many governments have been used of Satan to persecute Christians. Still today, there are places in this world where to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ could very well mean a death sentence for someone. In places all over this world. And in the past several years, even in America, we have seen the rise of religious persecution. It's not wrong for you to preach whatever you want your truth to be unless it's this truth right here. That's when the world opposes it. That's when the government opposes it. And so we see that when facing these kinds of persecutions at the hands of the government, Jesus gave some specific instructions. 
to the disciples about how to face it. Look at verse number 19. <coughs> the Bible says, And when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in the same hour what you shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. And Jesus gave some specific instructions that when they faced Persecution at the hand of the government, they need not worry about how they were going to respond to it. Because God, His Spirit, would give them the proper response in the hour that they faced such persecution. Boy, I wish I had time to tell you all the stories that could be told about the apostles. and About many martyrs who stood up for the gospel of Christ and faced a certain death. And God gave them words of wisdom to speak. As dying words as they breathe their last breath dying for the cause of Christ. One such person is William Tyndale. He is the father of the, uh, getting the uh, a Bible into the English language. Which uh, the Catholic Church had held in Latin for a very long time. He wanted the common people to be able to read it. And for that he was hunted down by the government. And he was eventually put to death by the government. Just for trying to get the Bible into a language people could read. They didn't want it to happen. And as he was being burned at the stake, I believe, if my memory serves me correctly, the last words that he spoke as he's being burned at the stake was, Oh Lord, open the King of England's eyes. And within a very short time after that, God did open the King of England's eyes. And what was produced from that was the King James Version of the Bible. The first version given in the English language. First full version of the Bible in the English language. See, the Lord said, don't worry about what you're going to say or how you're going to respond when persecution comes. I'll give you what you need. We see Jesus warned persecution could come from religion, could come from government. The third group I want you to write down is family. His family. This third group it hits close to home, literally. The Bible tells us in verse number 21... And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. Down in verse, 40, verse 35, Jesus said, A man's foes shall be they of his own household. Boy, throughout history, we find that many people, to profess faith in Christ means to be rejected by their own family. In certain countries still today, if a person professes faith in Christ, the family will have a funeral service for them because they are dead to them. They, they will no longer consider them as a part of their family just for professing faith in Jesus Christ. And boy, Jesus warned that this would happen. And some of you, I know, you know all too well what it is to be rejected by your own flesh and blood just because you became a Christian. We are in Africa Earlier this year, there was a man, there was a right-hand man for Brother Daniel Jenkins, our missionary there in Gambia. His name is Usman. And Usman was telling me the story about how when he first professed Jesus Christ as his Savior, his Muslim tribe, rural tribe, kicked him out. He was no longer allowed to be able to come home. Thank God, as time has gone on, they began to receive him back in. But boy... To profess faith in Christ, he knew it was going to mean rejection from his own family. And yet he still chose to follow Jesus. Jesus said these groups will try to persecute true believers. Religion, government, family. The fourth is culture. Culture. 
Verse number 22, the Bible goes on to say, And ye shall be hated of all men for my sake. The word all men there, by that phrase, Jesus was speaking of society as a whole. We could say he was speaking of the culture of the day. And suffice it to say, suffice it to say the culture of this world is opposed to biblical Christianity. Jesus said this should not be any surprise to us. In fact, later in John chapter number 15 and verse 19, Jesus said, if ye were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You say, well, pastor, we're living in America. Uh, this is a Christian culture. I propose to you that it is no longer a Christian culture. In fact, back in 2006, President Obama, in a speech to the nation, he said, literally, whatever we once were, we are no longer just a Christian nation. And from that day to this, we have watched a very rapid increase in the post-Christian America. We are living in a time when it is no longer popular to be a Christian. If you're going to be a biblical Christian. It's no longer popular to stand for biblical morality. It is no longer popular to declare the truth of the Bible or to share your faith in Christ. This world is opposed to biblical Christianity. In fact, as the verse says here in verse 22, they hate it. They detest st truly standing for what Christ has called us to be. So we see that Jesus warned all those who profess faith in him that they will have to face many crises for their faith in him. Then I want you to see what he told them at the end of verse 22. Look at it with me. Verse 22, the end of verse 22. He said, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Now let me be clear about something. Salvation cannot be earned by enduring. By putting up with all the things that we talked about. All right. Um, uh, Jesus wasn't teaching that enduring would produce or would preserve or protect your salvation, keep you from losing it. But what he was teaching is that if you endure, you are proving that you have been a genuine believer in Jesus Christ. He's basically saying the true believers in Jesus Christ will be those who stick with it, who when, when the going gets hard, they, they stick with their faith in the Lord. Here's the translation. It's easy to say you're a Christian when it's popular. When you're in church, everybody else is singing. Some of you still struggle with that, okay? Uh, that, that's still something you're struggling with. That's, that's a different subject. It's easy to say you're a Christian, to be a Christian when it's popular. But bring hardship in. Bring certain persecution in. The real Christians will show themselves. Many professors, not as many possessors of true salvation today. Being a Christian is not being a part of a social club. It is being in a genuine, heartfelt relationship by faith with Jesus Christ. So he says, they endure to the end shall be saved. When such persecution comes, this is what Jesus told his disciples to do in verse 23. He said, but when they persecute you in this city, flee you to another. For verily I say unto you, you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. In other words, Jesus here, I believe, referencing the tribulation, was saying when they start to persecute you in one city, don't stay there. Move on to another one where they'll, where they'll receive your ministry. Well, they won't try to kill you for preaching the gospel. 
And that's, that's the instruction that Jesus gave to his disciples. Here's the application I believe we can learn from. Hey, listen, when God closes one door, keep moving until he opens up another one. He's the one that opens doors that no man can shut and closes doors that no man can open. And some of you have been working too hard at trying to open the door that God hasn't opened for you. You need to keep on going and allow God to open the doors and guide your steps. And so we see the crisis of a disciple. We see the conduct of a disciple. But here's a third responsibility I want you to note down. And that is the character. The character of a disciple of Christ As Jesus describes the difficulties his disciples would face in serving him, he made very clear the type of character that would be required of them. And I say this to you, there are many people who claim to be believers in Jesus, but Jesus here outlines the characteristics of true believers. I want you to notice these as we study through this. Starting in verse 24, we see, first of all, a true disciple follows. A true disciple follows. Verse 24 and 25, the Bible says, The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. And it is enough for the disciple that he be as his master, and the servant as his Lord. And so if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, or Lord of Flies, a reference to Satan, how much more shall they call them of his household? What is a disciple of Christ? What's a follower? And believers are followers of Jesus Christ. And the ultimate goal of a disciple or a follower is to be like the one that they're following. We don't call the shots. If you're choosing to be a believer, if you're choosing to follow Jesus, he's the one that calls the shots. The truth is, most people think that following Jesus is such a wonderful thing until it gets hard. When the hardships come, they like to say, this isn't what I signed up for. It's a sad indictment, even in Jesus' day, many people who presumed to follow him, when it started to get hard, this is what happened in John chapter 6 and verse 66. I think the saddest verse in the Bible, 666. It says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. It happens to many people when they go through hardship and they haven't genuinely put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so following Jesus means that you'll sometimes have to go through things like he had to go through things. If they persecuted Jesus, he said, you can expect that they'll try to do the same to you. If they called Jesus names and if they accused him of being satanic, you as a follower of Christ are going to have to understand that sometimes they will try to do the same thing to you. The disciple does not outrank the master. All right, The family does not outrank the father as he went through things. Even so, he said, we as his followers will sometimes have to go through things. But I want you to look at verse number 25 and see something. What are the first three words? Read them out loud with me. It is enough. Say it again. It is enough. That means it's sufficient. It's enough to be like Jesus. Listen, if I have to go through the same things that my Savior went through, that's fine. I just want to be like Christ. In fact, in Acts chapter number 5, verse 41, the apostles, after they were later persecuted, 
The Bible says they departed and rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. A true disciple of Jesus Christ follows no matter what that requires. Now as as American Christians, we have been incredibly blessed for these past over 200 years with the freedom of religion. The day may come even in this country when that changes. And I wonder, will you keep following no matter what the cost. See, a true disciple follows. The second characteristic we see here is that a true disciple does not fear. He does not fear. Now look down in your Bible at verse number 26. This is what the Bible says three times. We're going to read three different verses here where something's repeated. Verse number 26, first off it says, Fear them not therefore. And I want you to jump down to verse 28. Verse 28, the Bible says, And fear not them. And jump down to verse number 31. And it says, fear ye not therefore. Three different times in six verses, Jesus repeated the admonition for his disciples not to fear. A true disciple of Jesus Christ does not live in fear. You know where fear comes from? Fear comes when you get your eyes off of the Lord and onto men or circumstances or onto yourself. That's when fear comes. And that's why the Bible says that God is not the one who has given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And when you keep your eyes on the Lord, you do not have to be enslaved by your fears. Jesus said what he was calling his disciples here to was to exercise some courage in the midst of a hostile world that they were going to march into. There were three kinds of courage he he told them to exercise. First of all, he gave them a call for moral courage. Moral courage. Verse number 26. The Bible says, Fear them not therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, and hid that shall not be known. And what I tell you in darkness that speak you in the light, and what you hear in the ear that preach you upon the housetops. Listen, Jesus was basically saying, in the end, He is going to be the vindicator of all of us for the actions that we take for Him. Sometimes in this world, the world will criticize us, put us down uh, because we're taking a stand for biblical truth. But Jesus said, remember, there's nothing hid that is not going to be made open, not going to be made revealed. In the end, the world will be the losers and believers in Christ will be the winners. And Christ will be the one who vindicates us. And so he said, what I teach you in private Don't whisper it among yourselves. No, go out and preach it from the housetops. Go and tell the world that there's a Savior, Jesus Christ, who can save them from their sin. Go and tell the world the good news of Jesus Christ. He tells us to declare His truth from the housetops. You know what this requires? Some moral courage. I'll be honest. There's some times when God tells me something, when I come to a passage of Scripture, boy, in myself, I think, I don't want to say that. It's not always comfortable to declare biblical truth in a world that is very opposed to the truth of God's Word. I stood in the the old Colorado Supreme Court. We were having a preacher's meeting there in Denver a couple years ago. And I had prepared a gospel message and then God led me to Leviticus chapter 18. And I said, Lord, you know who's a governor right now? But I preach what God told me to preach. I'm going to tell you something. It's not, it takes some courage to be able to declare 
the truth that God wants you to declare in a world that's very opposed to it. He's calling us to moral courage, but he also, we also see he's calling us to physical courage. Look at verse number 28. In verse number 28, the Bible says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Listen, the worst that man can do to you is kill you physically. But he can't touch your soul. Jesus says, have more respect for me who holds the life of your physical and spiritual life in my hands. And he tells us to have a greater respect for him than fearing this, this world that really can't touch us beyond our physical life. Reminds me of the story I heard of John R. Rice, who was an evangelist who was in Chicago one time. And he's walking down the streets of Chicago. And as he came past an alley, there were some robbers that came up and stuck a gun in his face and tried to rob him. And he looked at them square in the eyes as his testimony says, and he told them, you can't threaten me with heaven. Those guys didn't know what to do. <laughs> That's the kind of courage Jesus is calling us to exercise. You keep doing what God's called you to do, no matter what may be required. Moral courage, physical courage. The third kind of courage is spiritual courage. Verse number 29, the Bible says, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, for ye are of more value than many sparrows. Now in Jesus' day, a sparrow, a bird, this type of bird, a sparrow, was of such little value that one of them could be bought for a farthing, which was the smallest coin in circulation in the time that Christ walked this earth. And they would buy one, and they were, it was such, in order to get people to actually buy them, they would, they would throw a second one in for free. All right? There you go. Your original buy one, get one free. <laughs> but just a penny. And yet Jesus is making a point here. Even though sparrows to this world are of such little value, he attends the funeral of every sparrow. There's not a sparrow that falls on the ground, but he knows about it. And his point is, if he cares for what to the people of this world is the least valuable of things, how much more infinitely, infinitely does he care about his people? He cares so much about you that not even a hair of your head can fall to the ground without him knowing about it. He knows the number of the hair on your head. Some of you are giving him a whole lot less work than others. But he knows. Estimating the average... Human head, there's 140,000 strands of hair. Some of you are far beneath that, I know. But he knows. And see, the truth of the matter is, he's telling us to have some spiritual courage. A lot of objections people have for living, living for Jesus is, well, how am I going to be taken care of? How is my family going to be taken care of? You understand that we serve the God of the universe? You choose to live for the Lord. You can be assured. He'll take care of you. He knows right where you're at. He calls us to exercise some courage. And so we see a true disciple follows. A true disciple does not fear. And here's the third thing I want you to see. A true disciple is faithful. Is faithful. Look at verse 32. If you're still with me, say amen. Verse 32, the Bible says, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him also will I deny before my Father which is in heaven. A true disciple is faithful. Listen, 
A true disciple is not ashamed to identify himself with faith in Jesus Christ. The indication of the text here, the word confess is used. He that confesses me before men. That word confess, it comes from a Greek word that that literally means to declare openly. I want to pause here and help you understand something. It's important that we understand that a public confession in Christ is not what saves someone. But it is a demonstration of genuine faith. In other words, just because someone gets up and says, I believe in Jesus, does not mean that they're saved. They'll be doing it to gain attention from other people. But every person who has genuinely trusted Christ will not be ashamed to declare their faith in Christ. So how do you know that? Because the Bible says that. Look in your notes at Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. It says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Then it goes on to say, whosoever believeth on Him shall not be, what? Ashamed. Ashamed. That's why I'm so proud of a young man like Nathaniel willing to get up and declare, I have trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I am not ashamed. And that is what Jesus is referencing here. So if you believe in your heart, you won't be ashamed to declare it with your mouth. Now, does every person who denies Jesus go to hell? It's a trick question. Peter denied Jesus, didn't he? Not once, not twice, three times. And he was forgiven. There's only one unpardonable sin. And that is for you to die without ever having trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You cannot be forgiven unless you receive Christ as your Savior while you have the opportunity to do so. A true disciple in Jesus Christ receives Christ and is not ashamed to confess Christ as Lord and Savior. I wonder if you've ever done that. You know, you're not a Christian just because you come to church every Sunday. Not a Christian because you read your Bible every day. Not a Christian because your mama said you got baptized when you were a baby. The only reason you're a Christian is if you personally confess Jesus Christ as your Savior from your sin. The true disciple is faithful to trust Christ as Savior. Here's the fourth thing I want you to see. A true disciple forsakes all. Forsakes all. Verse number 34, the Bible says this, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother. And the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Some of you are not having problems with that already right now. (laughs) And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Jesus didn't want us to get the wrong idea about what it means to be a servant in his ministry. In the midst of a hostile world to Christ, being a Christian will sometimes mean war with this world. In a world that is opposed to Christ, being a Christ follower will sometimes put you at odds with even those who are of the dearest of relations to you. And yet a true disciple is willing to walk away from it all, if necessary, to follow Jesus. I don't have time to expound this, but I'll just tell you it very quickly. He's willing to forsake his lineage. Verse 37, he that loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Listen, if you say, I don't think I can confess Christ, because what would my mom think? What would my husband think? What would my sister think? If there is anyone 
holding you back from faith in Jesus Christ, I implore you, those relationships pale in comparison with you coming to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. He said, I don't want to lose it. You may not have to. But if it is required even to part with the dearest of relationships, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Alright? So he says first off here, you need to be willing to forsake your lineage and then you need to be willing to forsake your life. Verse 38, He that take, taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. In that time, especially in the days those disciples lived, they knew that the cross was used for nothing else than death. Right? There were no crucifixes. There were no crosses hung up in the back of churches. Right? The cross wasn't a normal thing that people looked on tenderly in that day and time. It was only something Romans used to kill people. And when, they made, when Jesus made the reference, you, take, you need to be willing to take up your cross and follow me, they understood that what Jesus was telling them is that being one of His disciples very well might mean they had to die someday. And then Jesus says, follow me. How far are you willing to follow Jesus? Willing to forsake your lineage, willing to forsake your life. And then the third thing we see is willing to forsake your legacy. Verse 39 he that finds his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. In this verse, the word life is the Greek word suke. And it's literally talking about more than just your physical life. It's talking about the stuff of life. It's talking about your emotional uh, uh, being, your desires, your wants, your dreams, every part of your life, not just physical. And Jesus says, if you... Pursue your own desires in life. You're going to miss what's important. But if you say, I'm going to give up what I thought I wanted to live for Jesus, you'll find there the true meaning of life. And Jesus says to be one of my followers means that you forsake your own way, you forsake your own dreams, and you come and do what I've called you to do. That's what it means to be a true follower of Christ. I wonder as you consider these characteristics... Are you still willing to follow Jesus? Some of you are true followers of Christ. I wonder if some of you have gotten a little off track with what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. See, Jesus gave us these requirements. We see the conduct of a disciple. We see the crisis of a disciple. We see the character of a disciple. The final I'll just mention is it's the positive. That is the compensation of a disciple. After hearing... All this hard truth, the question that comes to my mind is, is it really worth it? I mean, this, isn't the, this probably isn't the, uh, the, the best gospel message to preach. Come follow Jesus. You might die and your family will leave you. It's great. Not probably the easiest way to preach it. Is it worth it? And Jesus makes it very clear that in the end, it is so worth it. To follow Jesus. To the twofold compensation we see here. First, we see the reward of souls. The reward of souls. Verse number 40, the Bible says, He that receives you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. Jesus was saying, Those who will receive the message of the disciple will receive the one who sent the, who sent the disciples, and that's Jesus. 
In other words, as we declare the gospel, we are only ambassadors of Christ. We can't save anyone. We can't help anyone of ourselves. But we are representing the one who can help them. And when someone receives the word preached from a follower of Jesus Christ, they're receiving the one who gave that word, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And boy, oftentimes uh, I've led people to the Lord and they'll go up and they'll tell somebody, oh, he saved me. And I'll say, oh, hold on a minute. I, I didn't do it. It was God that did it. I think it just pictures exactly what we're trying to understand here. They're receiving what I've given them as if I've given it to them from God. And that's a very powerful thing because we preach the truth of God's word. The fact of the matter is, I'll, I'll, sum, I'll summarize it by saying this. The greatest treasure that you can have in heaven someday will be other people who God allowed you Amen. to bring along with you. 3 John, verse number 4 says, I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in the truth. Listen, I have often said that if I lived my entire life and all that happened were my five children got saved, it would have been worth it. It would have been worth it. And that's an important thing for us to understand. Is it worth it to go through all this hardship? To live the life of a Christian which isn't easy? Is it worth it? The souls that come to heaven someday along with us will say, yes, it's worth it. The reward of souls, the final reward is this, that is the reward for service. Verse 41 and 42. He that receives a prophet in the name of the prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones, or I believe it's talking about young believers there, a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple. Verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Summarization is this. Everything done for Christ will be rewarded. Whether it be done because a preacher asked you to do it. Whether it be done because another believer asked you to do it. Whether it be done for just even a very young believer. Cup of cold water given to someone in the name of Christ. Everything done for Christ will be rewarded. Hebrews 6 and verse 10 says, For God is not unfaithful to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward His name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Sometimes as we live for the Lord and we go through hardship, it can be very easy to lose track of. Am I even making a difference? I mean, is this worth it? Is it worth it to try to raise kids God's way? Is it worth it to try to go soul winning? Is it worth it to try to teach a kid's class when nobody says thank you week after week after week after week? Is it worth it living for Jesus? And Jesus reminds us, no one else may notice on this side of eternity, but everything that you do for me, you will be rewarded for. The old hymn writer said, it will be worth it all. When we see Jesus, life's trials will seem so small. When we see Christ, one glimpse of His dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. It will be worth it all. That's a good reminder for us. Living for Jesus isn't easy. You need to take some time to count the cost. 
And when you do, you'll find it is worth it. All the hardship, all the difficulty, it's worth it to live for Jesus. And so like the old song says, may it be our song today, I have decided to follow Jesus. Though no one join me, still I'll follow. No turning back. No turning back.